That's right. Don't show the bumper. <laughs> I recently introduced Christina, my wife, to the movie A River Runs Through It. Does anyone know what movie I'm talking about? All right, do you got a picture of that? A river runs through it, man. Now, most of the men, they're like, yeah, you're nodding your heads. You understand the movie that I'm talking about. You get it, right? It's just not me, right? This is a great, great movie. Now, for those of you who do not know what I'm talking about, you don't know the movie that I'm mentioning, you're a heathen. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, right? But the, the movie, it tells the story of the McLean family who lived in Montana in the early part of the 20th century. The father of the family was a Presbyterian minister. He was, he was stern and strong, but loving and caring. His wife was supportive and nurturing and a leader in her own right. They had two sons. The oldest was named Norm, the firstborn. And he kind of tells the story. He's the narrator throughout the entire the entirety of the story. And then they had a younger son named Paul. And we meet the McLean family when the boys are young and they're kind of like squirming in the front row of the church while their father's preaching a Sunday sermon. And we watch them, they grow up through childhood and, and they kind of go through a rough adolescence and, and they cross that threshold into adulthood all through this movie. Right, so the, the movie, it follows those two sons. But the real star of the story, the real star of the movie is the river that runs through it. Right, that part of Man Montana. The river that is present in their life. The river becomes the focal point of their family and the catalyst for everything significant that takes place in their individual lives. It was, was walking along the banks of the river on that Sunday afternoon that the, the father forged a relationship with his young boys by turning over rocks, teaching them about the, the world that they lived in, and about life, and, and just those important lessons, and about the God who made it all, the God who was above it all, and through it all, and in it all. It was in that river that the boys ran to after their homework to, to fish. And, and it's where the sibling rivalry took place as they, they fought to see who could catch the biggest fish of the day. Right? It, was, it was where they would go to to retreat from, from their, their lessons and homework and just the busyness of life. And when the, it also came to the point for the boys to prove themselves to their friends, they also took that death-defying uh, trip in a stolen boat down the rapids and down a waterfall. Right When Norman came back from college and he was, he was searching for himself and his roots, it was at that river that he went to fish alongside his younger brother. Right? It was the younger brother who would make a name for himself as the best fisherman in that whole area, in that whole territory. The, the McLean family knew failure. The McLean family throughout the movie, they knew success and laughter and fighting, change. They knew disappointment. But always the river that ran through it all, hence the name, was always there. It was the defining force and the, the spiritual center, in a way, of that family. 
Montana would have been just a wilderness and their home would have just been uh, four walls and a roof. Their individuals, individual lives lost to history, if not the river running through it all. It's an amazing movie. It's an absolutely an amazing movie. And Christina and I watched the movie. I did the thing that we all do when we love something and we're introducing it to someone else. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Like you're constantly looking at them to see how they're reacting to the movie. Right? The, 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 big, the big smile at them when something good is coming up. I'm looking at her and I'm looking at the screen and I'm smiling. Right, the, the worried look that I have when, when something is going to happen and I'm looking at her and I'm looking at the screen. The whole time I'm looking back and forth from the movie screen to Christina's face over and over again. And at the end of the movie, it comes and I look at her expecting her to have tears just wiping and rolling down her face forever changed by the river too. And she's asleep. Right? She's asleep. She's fast asleep to one of the greatest movies about becoming a man that has ever been made. And I, I think she was even drooling. That's how asleep she was. Right? It would be like someone falling asleep to the movie Braveheart, which Christina also did the very next weekend. Right? It's just awful. Right? But, but I, I, I tell you all this to suggest something to you. All of us here today, whether we're here in person, all of us, whether we're, we're, there, we're, we have friends and family that are out and about or watching online, just everybody in our world has a river running through their lives. All of us have something that is driving us, right? We all have something that is pointing us in the right direction, something that defines us and moves us forward. It tests us, and it makes us into what we are supposed to be. And all of us have a river running through our lives, and it's simply called this, purpose. It's simply called purpose. Right? All of us have a purpose for our lives. It's something that moves us forward and pushes us and helps us make every decision that we need to make throughout our lives. But here is the sticking point with this river running through our lives, right? The, 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 the blockade, if you will. Unlike the river for the McLean family, some of us, we don't know the name of our river. Or, or we don't know how to ride a boat down the river. Heck, some of us, we don't even know the, that there is a river in our lives, that there is a purpose in our lives, purpose, right, this, this word for a lot of us is something that we've been grasping for, we've been searching for, we've been hoping for, but we just can't seem to find it. We're lost. Now let me, let me zoom out here for a minute so we can get a better grasp at this. A national survey was done a few years ago of the 1824 crowd. That's a, that's a fancy way of saying the 18 to 24-year-old adults. And it reported that these adults all believe that having a clear purpose in life is a big part of being what they would classify as a real adult. Now, the problem is most of them 
don't feel like they found that sense of purpose. In that study, only 43% say they have a clear picture of what they want in life. 36% say of that 43 say their career path aligns with that life purpose. And then only 30% of that 36% know why they are here. Like they have roots in that purpose. One professor who helped with the study said this. He said, this study isn't good news. No duh. Right? Coasting is existing, not thriving. The majority of adults who say they don't have a clear picture of what they want in life also say they are existing but not thriving, while those with purpose more often say they are thriving. And then it goes on to talk about how this is true through no matter what age group we're in. We need purpose. Right? Adults without a purpose say they are just existing. We're just coasting. We're not thriving. Life is supposed to be adventurous. It's supposed to be full and abundant. It's supposed to be alive with beauty and joy. That's the vision, right? That's a forged life. It should probably also include some fly fishing and hunting in Montana. But without purpose, we're just existing. We're just coasting. We're just getting by. We're just dealing. We're just there. Right? We want our lives to mean something. We want our lives to impact more than just ourselves and a few people that are around us. We want to matter, but without knowing and living in our purpose, we are left searching in the wilderness. And listen, I fear in our search, Foundry Church, in our search for purpose, we can end up like Alice. Uh, you know Alice in the Wonderland? Take a, take a look at this quick clip. Now let's see. Where was I? Hmm. I, I wonder which way I ought to go. There's a bell in the way. <laughs> why, why, you're a cat. A Cheshire cat. All the mimosy, oh, the water goes. Oh, wait, don't go, please. Very well. Third course. Oh, no, 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 thank you, but, but I just wanted to ask you which way I ought to go. Well, that depends on where you want to get to. Oh, it really doesn't matter, as long as I can... Then it really doesn't matter which way you go. In our search for purpose, right, we, are, we are looking in every possible direction to find it. Right? We're just looking. We're like, Alice, it doesn't matter which way we go. We can't find any river running through anything. So our purpose changes day by day, hour by hour, sometimes minute by minute. For example, you woke up this morning with a purpose. What was it? Making it to the foundry, making it to church, right? Great, right? We, we've all made it. We've all fulfilled our purpose. We've achieved our purpose. How do I know? We're all here, right? We're all sitting here this morning. You woke up. You took a shower, maybe. You brushed your teeth, maybe, right? You combed or brushed your hair. You did it. You purposed 
in your mind to get to church, to gather together at the altar, as it says in God's word. And you did it. And now you have a new purpose, to get some chili, right, after service, and then get out of here, right, go watch the commanders or something. And then it will change again, and it can leave us just feeling empty because we're going from one thing to the next thing, right, purpose. This this changing, we're just on to the next purpose, the next thing. And listen, just existing in life without a purpose, I'm going to make a distinction here in a minute, it can lead to some pretty horrible things, right? In, in his, his book of Boys and Men, not the band, <laughs> researcher Richard Reeves writes this, a great writer. He says, men are much more likely to commit suicide than women. It is a worldwide, long-standing pattern, all right? That's documented through many streams of research and different avenues. Reeves, he goes on in this article to quote a famous uh, in, this, in his study, he goes on to quote a famous article that was written in 2019 in, in Harper's Magazine that talked about this sense of purposelessness among uh, modern men. Right? And, and really, it breaks down to everybody. The author of this famous article, he writes this, Several of my male friends struggled with addiction and depression, something that could be named. Right? But the more common complaint was something vaguer. A quiet desperation that, if I were forced to generalize, seemed to stem from a gnawing sense of purposelessness. Purposelessness. Getting tongue-tied. <laughs> Another study on male suicides tracked the words or phrases that men have attempted suicide the most often used to describe themselves. And at the top of the list, were two words, useless and worthless. Useless and worthless. Right? People are literally dying because of a lack of purpose in their lives. They are not just uh, wandering around looking for a river. They are lying alone in the wilderness, and they're crying out, Why, God, am I here? Why, God, am I lost? Why, God, do I not have a purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? Why, God, am I even here? Now listen, have you ever felt that tug? I have. All the time, right? The search for, for the river that runs through it, the cry for a reason, the hope for, for the answer to the cry. Maybe that's why you're here today. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's that you just like chili. That's why you're here. But listen, I, I hope in your search for good chili, you would sit with me and we would peel back the onion of purpose in our lives. So to do that, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Esther. Last week we were in the book of Job. Esther is the book of the Bible that is right before Job. Use the table of contents. The book of Esther, not Ezra, Esther. In the Old Testament, Esther is where we're going to be, chapter 4. That's the big four. All right, Esther chapter 4 is where we're going to be. And as you're turning there, let me just give you a little bit of context. The book of Esther tells the story of, you guessed it, 
Esther. Right, she's a, a beautiful Jewish woman living in Persia. Uh, Esther won a, a beauty pageant, and her prize was to be the second wife of King Xerxes, a pretty horrible man, so this was a pretty horrible prize, if you ask me. Right, Esther was raised by her way older cousin Mordecai, a well-respected Jewish man who by all accounts, Mordecai, this man, is loved and respected in and throughout the kingdom. But Esther does not tell anyone in the palace, right, in, the, in, the, in the actual palace of the king, that she's Jew, that she's a Jewish descent, that she's, she's a Jewish woman. There's just one little hiccup in this plan. Mordecai, her, her cousin, her father figure, and Mordecai and the king's right-hand man, the man named Haman, they do not get along. And by not getting along, I mean that Mordecai would not bow to Haman, right, the, the second in charge. He wouldn't bow to him because he only bows to God. And so, so Haman thinks it's a good idea to kill Mordecai along with all of the Jews that are in Persia. All right, when, when Haman got angry, he went all in. Right, this is like where Hitler gets his inspiration. So Haman is not a good guy. And so Haman, he used his position and his power of persuasion to get King Xerxes to write a law that would kill every Jew living in Persia, in the land. And now this obviously creates a little bit of an issue, just a little issue for Esther, the king's wife, who is a Jewish woman. So in Esther chapter 4, we find a conversation between Esther and her cousin Mordecai, again, like her father figure, where they're trying to figure out what to do about this big mess, about this situation. And as we read, know that this conversation is taking place through servants. Esther is, will say something to her servant who will then relay that, that message to Mordecai and then back again. It's a horrible way to have a conversation of this importance but that is what is happening. That's all that they could do. So let's read together Esther chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. All right? Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then verse 15 says, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Right. Everything up to this moment in Esther's life was done on purpose. Right? It was done on purpose. Everything up to this point was done on purpose. Right? When, when she went before the king right, in this beauty pageant, she purpose herself to look her best and she did she won right when she was chosen she purposed 
on herself to hide that she was a Jew, and she did. Every time she went before the king, she purposed, I know this isn't grammatically correct, right? She purposed to do so according to the law, and she did, right? But with one little phrase from her her cousin, from her dad figure, everything changed from that phrase for such a time as this. Underline that in your Bible. Circle it, highlight it, whatever, right? For such a time as this. Mordecai says to Esther in this short little phrase, I know you are scared. I know that this is not what you were expecting. You were just going to try to keep your head down. I know this is not what you were hoping for. I know that this is not the life that you would have picked for yourself, but maybe, maybe, just maybe, Esther, that this moment that you were sent here for this reason, everything before this happened, right, has happened maybe for this moment. You know, I've, I've heard a lot lately, you know, and this, you know, we know the election is already cycling up, right? Right, we've heard a lot lately that this world is falling apart. Everything is a mess. But what if we stopped complaining about the time that we're living in for just a second? Right, and, and we reframed it like Mordecai did for Esther. What if, if, we, if we were sent to this moment in all of history? You, in this moment in all of history for such a time as this. Right, let's think about that. Right there, there's this part in the Lord of the Rings books where, after having the dark history of the Ring and the return of the evil Lord Sauron, Frodo says he hears all that and he says, "I wish it need not have happened in my time." Right, and Gandalf answers him by saying, "So do I. I wish it didn't happen in my time. So do I." And all all those who live to see such times wish the same thing. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. So what if instead of complaining about the government or complaining about social media or kids these days, we thought, why was I? Why was I, little little old me, sent here to this moment in time? Wouldn't it change everything? Right? Wouldn't it change everything? It changed everything uh, for Esther, right? Lean, lean in and get this. With that short phrase, right? I grab a hold of this. White knuckle it here. With that short phrase, Mordecai takes Esther's life and changes it from a series of meaningless decisions made on purpose, all right, to a series of events leading up to a moment that could change everything for a lot of people. So look at it like this. Right, with that phrase, Mordecai changed Esther from someone living on purpose to someone that was living in purpose. Right, living in purpose. A forged life on God is deeper, baby. Right, it just is. Right, it takes it deeper, not just doing things on purpose, but doing things in a God given, created purpose for you. When she was living on purpose, Esther, she did everything she could to be beautiful for King Xerxes. But when she was living in her purpose, she was willing to fast for three days 
no matter the consequences to her appearance, to save God's people. When Esther, this, this queen, was living on purpose, she followed all the rules of the palace and would never approach the king out of turn. Right? She, she minded all her, her P's and Q's, but when she was living in her purpose, she would throw aside man-made rules to live for the king of kings and to save that king, her kings, her true kings, Right, so are we tracking? Right? When, when Esther was living on purpose, she hid her faith uh, so King Xerxes and his people would choose her and like her, and she would have this, this pampered future. But when she decided to live in her purpose, she claimed her faith in her true king, the God that she forged her life on, and she boldly, before Xerxes, said, I'm going to serve and save God's people. I look at it like this. Right? Living on purpose is reactionary. It's reactionary. Living in our purpose is actionary. I just made up a word. All right? Living on purpose, we're just going to react. We're just going to react. We're going to go with the flow. But living in our God-given purpose as people who are going to do whatever it takes to forge ahead, to forge a lifelong reliance on God and to guide others to do the same, that is living in our purpose, and it is action-airy. Living in our purpose is exciting. It is outside the box. It is adventurous. It's adventurous. It's abundant. It's, it's alive, and it's going to kick the town, the gates of hell. Because that's exactly what God said it would be. Right? Going before King Xerxes without an invitation could have meant Esther's death. Right? The guy was a weirdo. Right? He, was, he was just a strange guy. Right? He thought he was God. But she was living in her purpose for this moment in time, and she was going to go before Xerxes no matter what. Right? Living in our purpose does not wait for the world around us to tell us what to do. It tells us, it tells the world what we're going to do in the name of God, the God that we forge our life on, and we guide others to do the same. Living in our purpose, right, doesn't care what the world thinks. It cares about our king of kings. Stephen Mansfield, one of my favorite authors, um, he, uh, he has a couple of, couple of his books are on the shelves out there. And one of them that is out there, it's called The, uh, the, the Book of Manly Men. He's a biographer. Uh, he, he says this, A man cannot fulfill his purpose if he is living for applause, approval, and affirmation in this world. It simply will not come. No matter what we believe, it just won't come if we're living for this world, right? It, it will simply not come. Not enough, certainly, to answer the needs of our soul. Living on purpose says, I hope that people notice this hard work that I'm doing and that I get a raise. Or I hope that people see me working hard and I get that promotion. Living in purpose says, I will do this because I was created for this specific moment in this specific time for God's glory and to save his people, his creation. I'm his hands and his feet. So I'll do it with all that I have. Right? Because that is our purpose. Right? In this moment in time, we have sent for God's glory 
and just save people. Right? Right? In Esther's story, we see this on full display. She, she was sent to that, that specific time and that specific place to glorify God and to save people no matter what it takes. Our, our purpose is to live boldly in this moment, right now that we are in, to the glory of God and to save the people he has placed in our influence. That's our purpose. That's what you were created to do. And you might be thinking, I don't even follow Jesus yet. Listen, he said, this, you, do the, you step into this purpose. This is abundant, adventurous, a full life. Not a perfect life, not an easy life. You're going to have to be like a Queen Esther in a kingdom facing death. There's going to be hard times like, like she went through, right? That answers our question, right? Are, are you looking for purpose? Are you feeling lost, right? Perhaps you were sent here for such a time as this. In 1 Corinthians, like we read at the beginning of the service, it says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, parent, husband, wife, mother, daughter, brother, officer, like teacher, whatever you do, you do it to the glory of God. No matter what it is. And as you glorify God, you would also do our God-given commission, our God-given purpose, which is found in Matthew 28. Right? This, is, this is given to all of us. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Looking for purpose? Are we looking for purpose? That is it. You were sent here for this moment. No matter your past, no matter what's going on, no matter the weather and the, the, the waves and the storm that is all around us, beating us down, whatever it is. You were sent here in this moment to glorify God and to save people by telling them about him, his grace, and his truth. Or as we say around here, you were sent here for this moment in time to forge your life on God and guide others to do the same. You're just doing half of that. It's only 50%. A disciple of Jesus is someone who follows after Jesus with all that we have, our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we help others to do the same. We rub shoulders with others who don't know Jesus and we show them the grace and the truth. We save them, just like Esther. You see, I, I think in all that searching for purpose, we forget to look outside of ourselves. Another quote from Mansfield in one of those books out there, I don't even remember which one. It says, you know, we we've all have a destiny. We all have a destiny. And our destiny is fulfilled by investing in the destiny of others. When you become a Christian, life of service. 
right? a disciple is someone who's following after Jesus and his ways and showing others how to do the same thing. Our purpose is not really about us. Our purpose is about God and others. Esther thought her purpose was to be the queen of Persia, but really her purpose was to glorify God and to save his people. The queen thing was just to help her live in that purpose. You thought your purpose was to be a soldier in the military, but really your purpose is to glorify God and to save those that are in your field, your fellow soldiers, your your family, everybody. The army thing was just to help you live in your purpose as you glorify God. Right? It, it, it's a tool. It's where God wants you. Right? You thought your purpose was to be a mom and just to raise successful kids who, who, who just get good grades and, and don't cause any trouble. But really, your purpose is more than that. Right? Screw their grades if they don't know who Jesus is. Right? <laughs> right? Your purpose is to glorify God and to save your children. The mom thing is just to help you live in your purpose. So as the band comes up, man, there's, there's this cool story about a rocky stretch of coastline and, and the lighthouse that sits there. You know, once a, once a month, the lighthouse keeper would receive a, a shipment, a new supply of oil to keep the light burning so that all the ships could safely sail near the rocky coast and get into the harbor safe, safely. And one night, though, the... the Lighthouse keeper had heard a knock on the door, and he opens the door, and there's a woman there from the nearby village, and she came, and she was asking for some oil to keep her family warm that night. Another time, a father knocked on the door, and he asked for some oil for his lamp. Another man needed to get some oil to lubricate a wheel on a wagon. Since, since all the requests seemed legitimate, the lighthouse keeper tried to please everyone and he granted all the requests that anyone had. Now, toward the end of the month, he noticed that the supply of oil for the actual light in the lighthouse was dangerously low. And then it was gone. And on that night, the light on the lighthouse, it went out, and as a result, that evening, several ships were wrecked and many lives were lost. When the authorities investigated the situation, the man, he was very apologetic. He he told them that he was just trying to be helpful with the oil. And the reply to this excuse was simple and to the point. It was, you were given oil for one purpose. You were given oil for one purpose. Now listen, I pray that we would not be distracted by the world that is around us that we wouldn't even be distracted by the things that are beating us down, the weather that is all around us, the the good things that are around us. But we're focused on God, that we're focused and realize that we were sent here to this moment in history to glorify the God of the universe, the God that we forge our life on, to glorify him and to save lives no matter what we do. His purpose is no small one. And it's no small one. And it's not really even about us. <laughs> but if we live in that purpose, and you're thinking, I don't even know Jesus. I don't give my life to him yet. I have it. 
I'm telling you, amazing things will happen. And I'm not going to lie to you. Like I said, all the time, doesn't mean life is perfect. But you're, you're, you're throwing off living on purpose and living in purpose. When you accept his grace and his truth and you realize that he has given you a calling to glorify him and to save souls while you're at it. You know, when I, when I think about living on and in and purpose at this moment for the glory of God and to save people, I, I think about just taking the next right step. This, is, this isn't a scary thing. This isn't a big thing. Just take a step. Maybe that step is just to come back next week. That's a good step. Right? To, to, to say, hey, I'm just going to gather at the altar. I'm going to make a commitment. And I'm going to try to dig into the scriptures and try to figure out who God is. I'm just going to gather at the altar. Be a part of a local church. Maybe it's to stick around after services and talk to someone that you haven't talked to before and, and realize that you're all on the same team, that we're together and we're here to help each other as we live in our purpose. And maybe it's to join one of those discipleship table groups that we were talking about before service. One of, the, one of the Bible studies to hear the word of God and not just hear it, but to put it into play and to have people alongside of you that are stepping up to the table and say, I'm with you, I'm going to help you, I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to pray for you. Or hey, maybe, <laughs> maybe the step is to say, I want to lead one of those groups. And so you sign up for one and you say to that leader, to, to Tom and to Julie, to, to Christina or myself or, or Jeremy and Mackenzie, to, to the Tyler and Khalees, hey, I'm, I'm going to like tell me how you're doing this. And I'm going to do it next semester. Right? Maybe that's your step. Start to lead. Or maybe your step is to pray for that friend at work and invite them to, to read a scripture with you at lunch. Just, a, just one scripture. Or just to have a, a conversation about Jesus. And that's simply by saying, hey, you know what Jesus has done for me? You've got to be smart like Tyler. Right? going to tell them what Jesus has done for you. That's a big step, right? Maybe it's inviting someone to a church service uh, like today. These are easy ones because we got a bull outside. Like, not a real one. Right? Maybe it's to serve. Maybe it's to, to go ask Kirsten, what are all the different opportunities to serve out there at the info center? Maybe it's the hospitality team, which which, yeah, they make coffee and they, they do, you know, put out bagels and they put out signs and they hand out bulletins. But it's more than that, right? It's opening the door for the Spirit of God. They're removing rocks in the field so that God can throw down his word in our lives, right? It's a ministry, right? Maybe it's saying, hey, to Mackenzie, I want to help up here. Not me. Or help back there in the booth, right? And there's even a training on Tuesday, <laughs> If you want to do what Christina's doing back there with all the projection and stuff, right? Maybe it's working at the food pantry. Talk to uh, Carol or Christine about what that looks like and how we serve 75 families every week. Right? Maybe it's, you know, 
like I said, being a part of a small group, serving in a small group, maybe all these different ministries, maybe it's the kids downstairs, we need people downstairs. Alright. Whatever it is, the next right step in this specific moment, maybe it is how you can start living in your purpose. Right, living in our purpose in this moment and taking the next right step makes me think of a couple right now living in like Ohio or something, right? Right, and we know and we know that nothing great comes from Ohio, right? But it makes me think about this couple because they're living in Ohio right now, and in the next couple months, maybe they're going to get an order that says, "Hey, you got to leave Dayton and you're going to come to to Northern Virginia. You got to move your family." And this couple, man, they're they're on the rocks, right? When the kids aren't around, it's like it's like fisticuffs, like old school, right? They're going at it, and they're just trying to keep it together, just until the kids are old and get out of the, the house. But they're going to get orders, and they're going to move here to Burke, and they move in next door to you. This couple, this weird couple from Ohio, they move in next to you. And you invite them to join you at church. Maybe, again, you bring them to a Bring a Friend Sunday like today. And they come with you to church and they hear about purpose and living a lifelong reliance on God. Abundant, adventurous life. A life of hope. A life of purpose. A life that is not absent of all that chaos, all that weather, all that junk. But a life that is in the presence of God. The God that they forged, that they can forge their life on. And they hear about that, God, and you baptize them. And the chains that are holding down their marriage are falling apart. They're coming off of their shoulders. And those parents, they lead their kids to Christ, and they baptize them. Right? And then they, they next year, they get a, a weird neighbor from, from Kansas. Right? And they say, hey. Man, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Nothing weird, right? This is what Jesus has done for me. I was about to kill this guy. Hey, I was, I was, I was buying poison. I was going to put it in the chili. <laughs> but Jesus sent me this couple from the foundry who showed me some hope. Because that couple glorified God and all that they did. And they saved souls. In the name and in the power of God. Just maybe. Just maybe you were sent here for such a time. For such a moment. In history. Right now. Living in purpose is powerful and without a doubt it can change the world let's worship our God let's stand together